Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a desk. Lights up a podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. I'm Deb Meeks from Spring Hill, Tennessee, in the greater Nashville area, and I am reading Meredith. I'm Rachel Craig from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I am reading for Leda. Lights up on Meredith, standing near the railing of a ferry. She has been walking back and forth and at this moment is far away from the bench. Her open handbag sits on the bench. She holds a large plastic water bottle in her hands and tips it back and forth. It makes a sloshing sound. Leda enters, sits on the bench. She is wearing a life jacket. Leda sees the handbag. She looks at Meredith, who is at a distance, looking at the water. Leda quickly pockets some bills she finds in the handbag and gets up to leave to go back into the main cabin. Meredith turns around at the exact moment to see Leda take the money. Meredith walks back towards the bench, counting. Hold on, hold on. It's 21, 22, 23. What? 24, 25. Are you okay? Twenty-six. Mm. Meredith blows a kiss out into the wind. She puts the water bottle into her handbag, giving Leda a brief glance. Leda turns to leave. You shouldn't interrupt people when they're counting. I thought you were having a problem. Oh, I'm quite well. I, I didn't know if you were one of those crazy ladies. You know, tinfoil hat but you seem very nicely dressed. I was raised to dress smartly when traveling. Well, not me, obviously. No, I'm sure life jackets are quite chic in some places. When I was little, my dad would put this thing on me and say it was a superhero vest that would protect me. And now? What do you need protection from? Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to pry. I mean, I could just as soon as ask you. It's none of my business. Oh, it's cold out here. I like it. It makes me feel alive. <laughs> you can still feel alive and be warmer inside the cabin. Though it kind of smells in there today. I noticed that too. Like sauerkraut and B.O. (laughs) (laughs) You have a gift of description. (laughs) Leda stands up to head into the main cabin. Well, uh, I'll leave you to the counting and the cold. Uh, Are you married, my dear? Me? Uh, No. I am, for 26 mostly wonderful years. Wow. I've never been with anyone longer than a month. (laughs) Ben was a musician in the society bands that played in the fancy hotels. Was? Uh, Is he, uh... He he has dementia. These last two years, 
doesn't even know who I am. I'm just that nice lady who visits him. That must be horrible. I wish you'd remember my name. Isn't that selfish? He's the one going through everything, and I need him to acknowledge who I am, who I was to him. Seriously, I would kill myself if I started losing it. Oh, that would, that would be horrific to your family. Please, please don't, don't say that. So I get the counting to 26, then. That's how long you're married, right? Why the water bottle, though? It's personal. I'm going to brave the sauerkraut. Leda stands up to go into the main cabin. Uh, we had a son. Coltrane. Colt, for short. He died when he was five. How? Meningitis. Isn't life ironic? Me a nurse. Can I help Ben? No. Could I save my son? No. But Ben, he, he wouldn't give up on me. He wouldn't give up on us. He had a weekly gig. We'd, we'd take this ferry to it. Ben would lean over the railing like this and, and whisper, Listen to the water music. Colt is there. But the water bottle... Well, the ferry rides helped. A little. But when I was home, I... Oh, it was... Oh, it was hard. One night I just refused to go to the gig with him. I didn't see anything but blackness, and I wanted to surrender to it. Dive into its deep, delicious nothingness. Ben didn't want to leave me, but we needed the money. I fell into a deep sleep. When I awoke, he was at the edge of the bed with a water bottle, tipping it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and counting. Why? For use on land, he said. Back and forth for each year of our marriage. Twenty-six years today. I'm the only one left who remembers our son. Who remembers my Ben? That sucks. Leda shivers, stands up to go into the cabin. I'm cold. What do you need the money for? What? The money you, you took out of my bag. You're a crazy lady. Oh, lying is beneath you. You can't prove anything. You can have the money. I just... I just want to know why. Leave me alone! Well, then, there must be a very big need. Is it for drugs? No. No! No! I I'm off that stuff for good. Food? No. I'm fine. Rent? Here. Take it back. Leda pushes the money towards Meredith and moves away. Meredith grabs Leda's arm to give the money back. Leda winces. Ow! Are you hurt? Meredith pushes up the sleeve of Leda's jacket to reveal bruises. How did you get those bruises? 
It's not drugs, if that's what you think. Who hurt you? I, I just fell. Who hurt you? It doesn't matter. I left. You could press charges. No, no. But what if he finds you? Hurts you again? Superhero vest. Do you have a family you can go to? My dad died a few months ago. My mom and stepdad... I can't go there. Leila puts the money on top of Meredith's bag. I'll be fine. Coltrane would be about your age now. I'm not your dead son. I know that, dear. Stop calling me that. I don't know you, and you don't know me. I'm sorry I took the money, okay? Just leave me alone. Meredith turns back to the water. Lita stands up to leave. She paces. You shouldn't leave your handbag lying around. I'll be more careful. I'm... I'm sorry. I'm sorry I took your money, and I'm sorry that I yelled at you. Coltrane's gone. Ben is as good as gone. There's nothing anyone can do about that. But I... I'm more concerned about the living now. I need to find a... a place. Well, this, the city is a, a good place to hide out for a while. Regroup, make plans. I guess. In my purse... I, I told you I was sorry. In my purse, you'll find a business card for a Mr. Crespi, a bandmate of Ben's. He's been assisting me with Ben's papers and such. And, you know, I believe he rents out rooms to young people. You seriously want me to go through your purse? You're not going to steal anything else. Leda brings the bag to Meredith, who finds the card and gives it to Leda. I'll meet you when we disembark, and we'll go see him together. I... I don't know what to say. Thank you. Meredith. Meredith. It's nice to hear my name. I'm Leda. Your father just passed away. Yes. You had some wonderful years together then. Meredith takes the water bottle out of the bag and hands it to Leda. Water music? It helps. Meredith exits into the main cabin. Leda hesitates, then tips the bottle back and forth and starts counting. One, two, three, lights fade. Theater of Chattanooga and the Lights Up Podcast are grant recipients to the Sustaining the Humanities to the American Rescue Plan grant program. A program made possible by the National Endowment for the Humanities as part of the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, approved by the U.S. Congress and signed into law on March 11. 
Because of this program, Humanities Tennessee is able to provide $941,454 to 91 organizations throughout the state. The purpose of SHARP grants is to support jobs in the humanities, keep humanities organizations open, and assist the field in its response to and recovery from the needs created or exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. These grants may focus on humanities projects or leveraging operational support stemming from the devastating impact of the coronavirus pandemic. They may also help organizations plan for the future and begin the long process of response and recovery to the pandemic. ETC and the Lights Up podcast would like to thank Humanities Tennessee and the National Endowment for the Humanities for this amazing opportunity. Hello, hello, hello. We are in season three of Lights Up. It's hard to believe um, that this tiny little idea that started in the midst of a pandemic has grown. And we so appreciate everyone being here and continuing on the journey. I'm Dana, joined by my co-host, Christy. Hello, everyone. And today we have the playwright of Water Music, Ms. Ariana Rose. Hi, Ariana. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here today. Well, we're so grateful to have you. Um, I'm, I sneaked a little peek at your website and um, you are working in Broward County, which is where I lived my the first 18 years of my life. And um, I'm familiar with some of those theaters down there. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you about water music and your career at oh, large. That's wonderful. Welcome back to South Florida, at least virtually. <laughs> so we just got a chance to listen to Deb Meeks and Rachel Craig. Uh, bring your piece to life, which was super uh, satisfying for me. Honestly, I really enjoyed their reading. So talk to us a little bit about water music. What inspired this piece? Well, sure. Um, I've been writing plays for mm, maybe about six or seven years now. I started writing musicals way before that, but I'm a little bit newer to plays. And uh, as you know, um, for playwrights, a lot of times theaters will put out submissions for particular plays, just like you did. So this was actually written for a specific theater in New York. I'm a native New Yorker. Uh, for plays that take place on the Staten Island Ferry. And it was for a theater in Staten Island. And so I wrote it specifically for them. And I actually tend to write more um, personal-based stories and plays. This is one of the few that actually was just totally made up right from the get-go for that reason. However, I have spent many, many times going back and forth on the Staten Island Ferry working in New York. And so like, I knew the atmosphere really well. Um, some of the care, there is a little bit of story, like any writer, you know, there are some personal things in the story that I put in that nobody would really know unless they were me or they knew my life, or they're sort of loosely based on a character or something like that. But it was basically written for that particular prompt and it was chosen for that theater. So that was very exciting. Oh, it has. Amazing. Um, have you been able to see it performed? I'm not live. No. Um, I was able to see a recording of the one in, um, Staten Island. That's the Sundog Theater Company. Um, And then it had a a production recently, um, last September 2021, in Napa, California, with the Ladies Briefs Play Festival. And uh, it did have an online reading with in Bath, London, with scriptwriters and co. So that was really cool. I got to hear it with British accents. And then uh, most recently, in April 2022, it had an online reading with the Barrow Group, First Fridays in New York City. Um, So you were talking about this one's mostly made up, um, but some personal details. And, and my first question was, where did the concept idea of water music, the actual sloshing in the water bottle and the counting, where did that come from? If you feel comfortable sharing Oh, wow. That. My favorite imagination, I think. 
Uh, I'm a musician as well as a playwright, and uh, I'm also a certified music improvisation instructor. So a lot of times we have used uh, water bottles filled with music as accompaniment for when we're doing music improvisation. So I was familiar with the concept of creating music that way. I'm also a water sign. I was born in July. I live a block away from the beach, you know, water and anywhere I've lived, I'm always by water or near water or living on an island or a peninsula. So, uh, water is very much a part of my life, of the flow of my energy and what I like to write about. You're a cancer. Oh, huh? yeah. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio. I'm a big water sign. I'm attracted to water signs all the time. So I get it. <laughs> In fact, um, many of my romantic partners have been Scorpios. There's definitely a connection between Scorpios and Cancerians. Yes. <laughs> so you got such a unique start in that you, you, uh, primarily did musicals before and then launched into playwriting. So talk to us a little bit about that journey. How did that get started? Sure. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Tuck and Patty, but they are a singing and guitar duo that uh, live in California, but they travel all over the world. And they do, I don't even know how to describe their music. It's just sort of like world music, um, songs about love, but not in a sappy way, just about really like deep love for self, for others, for the world, for the planet kind of thing. And anyway, she... Um, I had gone to a workshop with them at the Omega Institute for Holistic Arts, which is in upstate New York, many years ago. And that's when I actually wrote my first song because I was with the vocalist with Patty because I was a performer. That's how I started out in theater. And the guitarists were with Tuck. And so she encouraged us to meet with the guitarists on our off time when we weren't meeting in the workshop and maybe um, just get together. And we decided to write a song together. I worked with the guitarist, John Trask, in Tuck's workshop. And I wrote my first song ever. So that was exciting. And then I thought, and I've always wanted to be a writer and I had written other things, but never for the theater. And I had come up as an actor and then a director in the theater. So it was a very natural progression to go into playwriting. And then in 2003, uh, I was accepted into the BMI Lehman Engel Musical Theater Writing Workshop in New York City. And I was in that for three years. And then I moved down to South Florida for a while, for about four years. Um, I really learned how to teach down there. I did a lot of teaching artist work, performance as well. But I wanted to go back to grad school, and I knew I wanted to go for writing. So I went back to New York in 2001. I applied for the NYU to School of the Arts um, uh, uh, sorry, Musical Theater Writing Program, and I got in there. And so I was in that from 2010 to 2012. Uh, and I had been writing musicals before with BMI, but I really got such an excellent training with NYU. And an expensive training, but <laughs> an excellent one. And uh, so that's really how that started with writing musicals. I've been doing that for a very long time, since 2003, 2004, and just standalone songs. And then plays started in around 2017 or so, 2016. I started writing with short plays. And at this point, I've written, oh, how many? Maybe about 15 or 20 short plays and two full-length plays. And at this point in time, they've been, all of my work, whether it's songs or plays or musicals, have been presented in 27 states to date and seven countries, which is really exciting. Do you have a preference when you're writing uh, between plays without music or musicals or plays with music or... It's such a great question, Dana. And I think like you, since we have a similar background, even when I'm writing a play, it, there's still a musical sensibility to it that informs it. There's sort of a rhythm and a flow. Sometimes I will actually add in a song, which is a very British style of playwriting too. You know, they often have songs and music in their plays, but they're not musicals. Uh, so yeah, they're, <laughs> somehow or other music 
water music in particular, you know, is always somehow in whatever I write. And I don't know that I have a particular favorite. It just depends. It's, I'm very story-based. So if something intrigues me, um, something I read or something I've come up with in my mind to write about, then I'll write about that. I'm usually not very good at prompts. So it was kind of unusual that I was able to write this play and have it be accepted because uh, I tend to write for more personal narrative or from historical narrative. Um, in fact, right now, and actually this feeds into your question, so it's great. I have a full-length play called The Equivalent of Sensation, which is about the Cohn sisters, Etta and Clarabel Cohn, who were real-life women who were art collectors around the turn of the century um, from Baltimore. And they were these very straight-laced Victorian-looking women, and yet they were totally pulled towards modern art. And so they started collecting Matisse and Picasso before they were anybody. And this was basically through the recommendation of their family friend, Gertrude Stein, who you might have heard of. Uh, so I wrote a play called The Equivalent of Sensation about them and about Gertrude and her partner, Alice B. Toklas. And from all the reading and research that I did, and this has been going on and off for about 10 years now, it turns out that there is a suspected relationship between Etta, one of the sisters, and Gertrude Stein. So I wrote that play. It's had lots of readings all over the country. And now I'm in the process of turning it into a musical uh, with composer Amy Engelhardt and director Clayton Phillips. And uh, so it, you know, it's been a really interesting trajectory to see it go from my imagination into a play and now into a musical. Oh, wow. I can't wait to hear more about that. I'm sure that's going to be, yeah, that's these historical pieces, especially about women who remain largely in the shadows. Um, they seem to be coming to light now, and I'm very, very grateful for that. <laughs> so I can't wait to see where that goes. That sounds really exciting. It was a very interesting process adapting my own play into a musical, because you would think it would be easy, right? And in some ways, it is easy because I know the characters so well from working on this play for over two years and researching everything on and off. But it was actually very challenging because musicals are a whole different animal than plays. And some of my favorite, favorite scenes from the play just got cut from the musical because they just didn't work for whatever reason. Um, but there's other new stuff and there's there's 20 songs. So <laughs> that's yeah. exciting. And then we expanded it from four characters in my play to 12 characters in the musical. And they're all women, too. I like to really write women and strong women. Uh, and so it's the older self, actually the dead selves, they come back to life in the museum and then their younger selves and then some of the paintings come to life. So it was this deep dive into the art of that time, too. And it was just so wonderful and visually exciting to work on this piece. Oh, I'm so intrigued by that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I know it sounds that honestly sounds magical listening to it. I was like, I want to I bet you've learned so much and uncovered so much. I bet it was fascinating, just a fascinating process. It was. Um, I find, because I do write so much of real life people, um, I have another play called Touch the Moon, which is loosely based on the Natalie Holloway disappearance in Aruba, but it's just really about lots of women that have gone missing. And so because I write so often from historical characters or real life characters or people in my own life, it's a fine line that you tread because there's a difference between truth and reality, because you're looking for the essential truth of whatever it was that happened, the feeling or the emotion, because that's what's true. But we're dealing with theater, and there are different ways of telling story in theater than there are in film or television. And um, it's so imagination-based. The audience comes to it, and they have such an important role to play in terms of filling in the blanks. And you can do a lot with symbolism and metaphor. 
So for me, it's really about um, what is the essence of these characters? What are they really about? What, am, what, what kind of space am I writing into here? What do I want to say about the human condition? life, uh, how these people respond to each other, and particularly these women. And what I found with those four women from the equivalent of sensation is they were all so far ahead of their time. And so it's really fun to find parallels between the historical characters that I write about and what's happening in our world right now. Because unfortunately, human nature being what it is, things don't change all that much. That's so true. I was telling Dana earlier, we were chatting a little bit about water music and telling her just this season so far, there's been like this unintentional underlying theme having to do with uh, really humanity and um, relationships with strangers to a certain extent and healing and uh, the concept of not uh, comparing suffering, just accepting each other's suffering for exactly what it is. Um, And one of the things Dana and I, that we mentioned was um, Leda was searching for immediate help by diving into uh, Meredith's person taking out money, not realizing that in that purse actually was potentially a greater help with the business card. But in order to get to that, she had to create that relationship, that vulnerability with Meredith. And so without risking that, you know, it's a, it's a corny phrase, but no risk it, no biscuit. Uh, and she she eventually was willing to take take that risk, you know, maybe um gently coerced by Meredith's um, very endearing nature, I have to say. I, I would probably sit down on a bench and talk with her for an hour. <laughs> like, truly, I was like, uh, uh, her stories, I would just want to know more. Um, but I loved that that theme in water music. Was that Was that intentional when you sat down to write it, or that just kind of came out as you were writing these two women? That kind of came out as I was writing them. But like I said, there's always a little bit of personal in every writer's story. And I had a wonderful theater professor at Bucknell, Harvey Powers. He was the head of the theater department. And after I'd graduated, but not too far after that, he had a fall which brought on Alzheimer's. And he eventually was put into a home there in Pennsylvania. And his wife, who was a biology professor there, Betsy, um, also just wonderful salt of the earth people, you know, we would visit him there. And then she would tell me that he didn't know her name, that she was just the nice lady who would come to visit. So I put that line in there because I wanted to honor both of them in that. And, um, and then post writing this play, I understood it even more because my husband had a heart attack and a stroke in February of 2021 and it affected him. And sometimes he did not know my name um, and it would really upset him when he didn't remember. Uh, he, he passed away last July. But um, so I really did understand that wanting somebody to say your name and to hear your name said aloud and for someone to acknowledge that you had that relationship together. That got me. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that really got me. Uh, yeah, it took me about a year. I just wrote a new play about him called Going Home, but I, I knew I couldn't write about it for a while until I had a little bit of distance. But, um, you know, writers use everything from their lives. So, you know, everybody who's a friend of mine or family member needs to watch out. because <laughs> It's going to get there. And, and my uh, most produced short play, which has also been published, called Family by Numbers, is about my nephew's disappearance and death in a national park out west. So, um it's really wonderful, though, that he lives on in that play. And every time it gets done somewhere, it's just I love that more people get to know his story and connect with his spirit. So that's the power that writers have. You know, we can take that pain in our lives. We can take the lessons that we've learned or not learned or continue to relearn and 
put it down in tangible form. And um, I, I think that's that's what's what's so right amazing and beautiful about the arts is you find your voice and you put that through your writing, your music, your performance, whatnot. But I think what um, what what makes things stand apart as great or universal or relatable or touching is when you can do it with such nuance, um, especially in such a short amount of time. I'm always in awe of our playwrights on this podcast because they are able to bring these things out in 10 to 15 pages, you know, sometimes even less. And so you have obviously experienced some grief and loss, and we're talking about major events this season, and clearly you've had a lot of major events in your life. Um, but the fact that you have this, you know, the the internal, someone with internal wounds and someone with external wounds, two people who are experiencing two very different kinds of loneliness, finding comfort, all of that you have created in such nuance um, in like 11 pages. So that is always what stands out to me is yes, we can have this creativity and this vulnerability, but there's also, it's it's wrapped and carved in skill. And that is what I appreciate most about getting to talk to all of our playwrights is that there's a level of skill here that's really quite beautiful. Um, you said you went to graduate school for a musical writing program. Um, and you've talked to us a little bit about transferring your own play into a musical. What was it like to go back from everything you've learned about writing musicals and using that skill to write straight plays? Um, I know you said water music was like maybe one of the first ones that you did based on a submission. Um, what what was it like? How do you use those skills? Um, what skills do you really anchor in on? And, and how do you shape plays, especially in short plays? That's a great question. Well, theater is storytelling. So you know, you, you need to, there's the basics of the structure. You know, you generally, you will have a protagonist or protagonists. You will have an antagonist. The protagonist has a big want objective. Uh, and then you set up obstacles towards that person not getting that. And hopefully eventually there's some resolution of that story, whether it's a happy ending or not, but there are questions that are answered. So, so those things generally stay the same from piece to piece. How you do it and the form you do it in is where your particular skill and imagination as a writer comes into it. And it just really depends. Like I mentioned, almost all of my pieces, even if they're a play, have some element of music or water in them. Um, I would probably characterize myself as ghost girl because a lot of my pieces have characters that have already passed on, but that are still very much part of the story or interacting as a character or influencing a character. Um, so there, they are different mediums. Um, in musicals, the songs do the heavy lifting, and they are what is moving the story story forward and giving us that window inside. Um, there's less dialogue generally, you know, and the songs are really carrying it forward. In a play, it's all dialogue based, or uh, also they're not speaking. It can be nonverbal, but there is something happening that is very active. And so they are, they are two very different things. Um, I was really lucky. There's a wonderful theater down here in Boca Raton on uh, the FAU campus called Theater Lab at FAU. Um, Matt Stabile is the artistic director of that. And for four years in a row, I've had short plays in there. And he sets up a beautiful workshop situation with the other playwrights, too, where everybody works together and gives each other feedback. And um, so it, I have learned the great advantages of being in a writer's group. 
and that's when I started mine about three years ago. So we have all playwrights down here in South Florida, and sometimes we bring in playwrights from around the country too, because as I've done different things, like I did the Inge, William Inge Theater Festival this year, I just did the Kennedy Center Playwriting Intensive this year, uh, a few other places that I've been as well, I will bring those in as, as guest playwrights to work with us. But hearing your work read aloud by other writers and getting uh, feedback on it, uh, feedback that's very constructive uh, is really, really helpful. And also just reading other people's plays. I am a member of New Play Exchange, which is a wonderful thing. And I read so many plays there all the time. I've gotten to know so many playwrights and their work and musical theater writers. And it's really wonderful. I think you mentioned with water music, you haven't gotten to see it up on its feet. You've only uh, been able to hear readings of it. Is that correct? That's correct. I think I saw a video of the show in uh, the one in Staten Island, so I was able to see that, oh, but not live. Okay, perfect. What ha- Getting to hear those readings, has there been an experience you've had each time, you know, of any kind of surprise at your own work, just getting to hear it in, just hear it without seeing it? I love seeing my pieces live. I mean, I think out of all the things I've done in theater, and Dana could probably appreciate this too, you know, I started as a performer and then went into directing. I still direct from time to time. And as a writer now, I love writing the best. I mean, first of all, you can do it at home in your pajamas. <laughs> so, so there's that. Um, there is nothing like the feeling of sitting in an audience and hearing people respond to something you wrote, whether they're all gasping together, whether they are um, laughing together, or hearing that that absolute silence when you know everybody is totally into the moment that you created. You know, it is the best feeling in the world. Uh, it's so much better than acting or directing, you know, because those are interpretations. But this, like, these words came out of me and uh, very agonizingly came out of me. You know, so many rewrites and should I use this word or that word and changing this around and running it by my writers groups, you know. So it's it's gone through so much development by the time it gets onto the stage. And even then, afterwards, I will often change things. You know, if an actor says something or paraphrases a little bit and I like that better, I will put that in. Um, if I'm lucky enough to work in a workshop situation with a director and actors, you know, we will sort of approach the piece together and figure out where are things that could be strengthened or where does something need to be changed? There's a great quote saying that plays are never finished. They're just abandoned. <laughs> I think that's true. Crazy. Um, Gary, our producer sent us a little clip and saw that you had um, done a short form musical with Marge O'Neill Butler, who was also has been on um, lights up. I believe she was featured on season two um, so he was like, look at that. Sure. Well, Marge was one of the co-founder of my writers group here. Uh, we're very good friends. In fact, she is the Dramatist Guild ambassador for the entire state of Florida. And I'm the Dramatist Guild ambassador for South Florida. So we work together in that way as well. We're good friends. We have co-produced several things for uh, Fantasy Theater Factory down in Miami, Florida, and self-produced our own 10-minute plays to give uh, our playwrights here in South Florida some more opportunities. But I learned so much from her because she had been doing this for a very long time before I came upon the scene and started doing short plays. She had never written musicals before, though. So, you know, I gave a few classes to everybody in terms of lyric writing and just basic structure of musicals from what I had learned through my years in BMI and NYU and experience. And uh, so it was really fun to write that particular musical together because we adapted one of her short plays. Yeah, that's so... I love that so much. And one thing that Christy and I are always invested in talking about is um, amplifying, 
you know, females and other minority voices in the theater. Um, and so we have actively, since our first season, worked on getting more uh, female, LGBTQIA+, and uh, people of color, both as our actors and our playwrights. Um, do you want to talk to us a little bit what it was like um, transferring from being a performer to going to the playwriting world and doing that as a female in that world? You know, I've been really fortunate in the past few years. I know that there is some ageism in the theater. Um, as far as I know, it hasn't affected me. Of course, I don't know if something's passed over because they figure out what my age is. But I haven't really had any lack in terms of, uh, even during the pandemic, you know, finding places to do readings and and productions and things. So I'm lucky in that way. I mean, there there are so many issues in the theater, as we all know, <laughs> going on right now. So... I'm very aware of my privilege. Uh, I am a white woman. Uh, I am Jewish. I grew up in New York. I identify as bisexual. I, um, you know, so I, I suppose there is some discrimination that I've experienced, but nowhere near the amount that many of my fellow playwright friends have. And so whatever I can do to make things better for them and open doors for them, uh, you know, I, I really tend to write characters that can be played by any race or ethnicity, and that's really important to me, even something when it's real life historical characters, I have a note for the equivalent of sensation, the play and the musical that it really should be played by a very diverse cast. Um, because why not have a black Gertrude Stein? Why not have an Asian uh, Alice B. Toklas? You know, we are all colors and all experiences here and our plays really need to reflect the world that we're in. I mean, there's a high likelihood that there was a black woman doing the equivalent or more of what Gertrude Stein was doing. And it just was it coming to light, you know? So we find all these things now as we are trying to open up our scope and we're finding out these things. So yeah, the, the, that's an amazing example right there of like, I'm sure there were Black women who were pushing the same sort of boundaries who did not get written down in the history book. So yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, and, and yeah, there's, there's uh, that's, it's just part of reconnecting to our humanity is really owning our unique voice and perspective. And, and like Chrissy was saying at the start of the podcast, this recurring theme that we're getting and, and whether it's because of the pandemic and we've opened our view and our scope a little bit, but this running theme through all of our, our plays and the works have been, well, if you get past the initial barrier, we're all the same on the inside and we can all help and we don't have to be strangers. And you know, that's, that was what's so beautiful about this. It's on the Staten Island Ferry water music, but you have two people of two different ages, two different life experiences who really needed each other and had very similar grief that they were carrying around. So I love about theater, you know, particularly coming through as a performer and a director, you know, my friend's base is all different ages. It's multi-generational because plays require stories with characters of different ages and different experiences and backgrounds. You know, so my primary friend group is probably generally from my generation, but, you know, my uh, second largest circle of friends and acquaintances is, is pulled from so many people in different walks of life, which is really beautiful. And I really do try when I'm producing or directing to try and have something that really uh, is a microcosm of what our community is in the global sense. And I think it's really important, you know, to be an ally to whatever underdog needs it at the moment and, and to help and, you know, be a voice 
for what's going on. I also, I've been a teaching artist for many, many years. I'm an adjunct theater professor at Broward College here. And uh, I love my students and I learn so much from them. It is. And when I was a teaching artist in New York City, which I was for many years with many different programs, I loved that. I loved going into a classroom and just seeing every nationality, you know, every race, every gender in there and see them all working together in peace and harmony. You know, it's within a school structure, certainly in the rules of the school, but it really gives you hope, you know, that we really can live together if we have basic ground rules about respect for each other. Because I think for any sort of discrimination anywhere, once you realize that somebody else is a person very similar to you, you lose your fear of whatever the otherness is that you're having issues about. This concept of othering, we've talked about it so much. And it was, again, one of the things in water music that I really loved. Meredith definitely seemed like the spearheader in unothering each other, which I really appreciated. That could be the wisdom of her, you know, years of experience to create a bridge with suffering where sometimes we create a divide with suffering, but certainly it has all the tools needed to, to build that bridge. You've talked so much about the, a variety of different works that you have done. Is there one piece in particular that you're really proud of, or that's very near and dear to your heart? My thesis musical with Ben Bonema, who um, is an incredible writer um, and has also won the Larson Award and the Fred Ebb Award in his own right. Um, and that is about Wendy, Michael, and John Darling 25 years after Netherland, when Wendy gets involved with the suffragette movement in London at the time. And I think probably because that's my first full-length musical, that will always be my favorite. And uh, we, over the past 10 years, we've been working on it. And we've been so lucky about every other year it gets chosen for something development-wise and we get to work with it some more and workshop it some more. And um, it's just such a beautiful full-bodied piece, again, about women discovering who they are, how to achieve their independence, and how to help others once they have. Uh, so I guess The Lost Girl would probably be my favorite, but a personal favorite will always be Family by Numbers, my 10-minute play about my nephew, Zach, um, just because if I will be the most proudest of that. And when I die, at least I will have that. I know I put that out in the world, something tangible. It's published with Applause Books, Best Plays 2021. And um, that for me is everything because that's such a personal component. Um, it's a beautiful little play and it keeps Zachary alive in the memory of my family and in other people who I'll never meet and never know. And yet they're touched by his story. Maybe it helps them with their grief process. That's, that's so important, you know, and that's so nice that you have that feeling of fulfillment on, on something on a piece. You know, it's, it's hard, I think in this industry, in this career often to feel fulfillment around a piece whether it's because plays are never finished they're just abandoned or you know if you're a performer it's very it's like very ephemeral you know you can never they might film a stage version of something or whatever but it's not the same you know when you're done when the run ends it's done and so to be able to have that sense of fulfillment and tangibility I think is really beautiful and and fortunate and how wonderful that it can be shared to other people who, who may need it, who are grieving. So before we do, we always like to give the playwrights a chance to let our audience know um, where they can find you and where they can follow you. You mentioned New Play Exchange, but if you have any websites, social media handles, anything you want to list 
um, and say out loud verbally now. We will include in the episode and then um, also in our liner notes so they can look Oh, lovely. Um, yes, I do have a website, arianarose.net. And I know you'll do the spelling when you put everything down for everyone. Uh, I'm on New Play Exchange under Ariana Rose. You can look for me there. I am on Instagram at Ariana Rose Writes Musicals. I'm on Twitter at Rockaway Rose because I'm from the Rockaways. And uh, I am on Facebook as Ariana Rose as well. So you can find me all those places. But my website is very comprehensive and it has all the works. It also has links to everything on New Play Exchange. If you're a member, of course, you can read it there. Uh, Or you can contact me through the website. And if you want to learn more about a particular play or musical that I have, happy to do that. I'm also on SoundCloud um, from all my songwriting as well. So I'm all over the place. Can't miss me. Sure. We will dive into asking our three questions. Um, So I will start with, is there a particular word that may be a favorite word, but it might just be a word you are very, very fond of? Procrastination. (laughs) (laughs) I am a citizen of that nation as well. Um, Our second question is, do you have a favorite or very well-loved place, location, or setting? It can be real or Yeah. uh, The first time I lived in South Florida, I lived in Boynton Beach, and there's a little town there called Briny Breezes, which is a really interesting town. And I lived in this little bungalow, which has since been torn down and rebuilt with multi-million dollar townhouses. But we were right across from the beach known as the Dog Beach. And it was this tiny little beach with a little jetty going right into the water, right off of Briny Breezes Boulevard. And it's where I want my ashes scattered (laughs) whenever I do pass away. It's just, it was so, so magical living there. You know, everybody knew everybody else. It was like a surfer's community and people just hang out. You didn't even need to lock your door. You know, it just was such a great time. And uh, that's really when I made my decision to start writing. And so it's a very special place. Okay. Last question. Is there a favorite item that you have? Maybe a sort of prized possession or a superstitious little totem or anything that you would consider a favorite item? Oh my gosh, yes. We love show and we tell. We know to be able to see this, but this is, I don't know if you can see it. This is a Stephen Sondheim action figure. <laughs> I actually have it in the plastic to protect it, but the arms move. And I got it, uh, I got it, I think, on Etsy. There was some gentleman in the UK who was making these, and I loved it so much. Um, when he passed away last year, I think I sobbed more than I have for most family members. <laughs> you know, I He was he's been a such an inspiration for me my entire life starting as a performer and I've been lucky enough to be in some of his shows you know in community theater and college and um I I keep this by my computer so whenever I'm writing musicals he's front and center except you know Sondheim was also very well known for procrastination so sometimes I need to to move the little action figure or call it an inaction figure <laughs> In which case, I have this, which is a snow globe, which I got from Cool Globes of uh, the Sunday on the Isle of Grand Jat, that Sunday in the park where George was written on. So one of my favorite musicals because it's about the process of creation for writers. And uh, my favorite line ever is, look, I made a hat where there never was a hat. And I always say that every time I write something new. (laughs) 
The Ensemble Theater Chattanooga and the Lights Up Podcast were one of 11 organizations across the Chattanooga Valley to receive grant funding through the Sustaining the Humanities through the American Rescue Plan. As part of this podcast, for each episode, we would like to highlight one of the other organizations receiving a sharp grant. Splash is a free art school <laughs> for at-risk youth. That, in a nutshell, is what Splash is. I need everybody's eyes. We're going to start our art class, okay? I wanted to find a name that would sort of express what I want the kids to experience. I want the kids to experience freedom. I want them to go places maybe they hadn't been before. I wanted them for two hours to get their minds off of everything and just focus on whatever it is that they're doing. And when they are with Splash, they are safe. They are in a safe place for those two hours. There's about five housing projects right here in, in this area. It's one of the most violent places in Chattanooga. There's about six gangs in this neighborhood. Just on this street, this year, there have been four murders that I know of. So it's an area that needs some attention. Now, we always say that it takes a village to raise a child. In my mind, the village is absent. I came from this community. I came from this neighborhood. and. When I was growing up, my esteem level was very low, and so I really turned to the arts. Art really did save my life, and I came to the realization that I could give back to the community. All children love art. They need art in their lives. They need to be creative. They need some alternatives. Art uses the right side of the brain, so I know that by doing art, they're going to become smarter. And I felt that that could help them sort of navigate this community and navigate this city and this country and this time that we're living in. Most of these kids are traumatized and uh, art frees them up to express themselves in ways that maybe they hadn't been able to for a while. Art is a way to express your feelings without having to talk. I like to do art because you use the side of this brain, but not this side. I just feel like I can express my emotions in different ways. What we are doing, me and my wife, we are loving these kids. We've given them what we have. So we're going to feed them, we're going to give them art, and uh, allow them to find value in themselves. For more information, go to splashyouthartsworkshop.org. Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theater company located in southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. Graphics by Jamie Goodnight. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or a reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ATC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast.